Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, your faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, today's episode's a good one. It's our Burning Man episode coming at you to celebrate the fact that Black Rock City is being built as we speak. The golden spike has been laid, and the incredible humans that make Burning Man happen every year have been on Playa now for many, many days, starting to lay the fencing and lay the groundwork for the citizens of Black Rock City, aka Burners, to come in and set up their camps, set up their sound camps, their theme camps, their gifts to the city. Starting on August 21st, burners are going to start showing up and driving down Gate Road onto Playa, where they will start building out the city we know and love so that burners can come back home. It's a homecoming. We're going home, people. Going home to Black Rock City. And so with Burning Man coming up, we wanted to honor and celebrate this annual event with this very special episode today our burning man special episode and to do so we are talking to a amazing artist who is also a burner and he's yet again going to be on playa this year with an incredible sculpture that he's fabricating as we speak but the one and only nikki alice is on the show today and I just am so stoked to know Nikki. We met for the first time on this podcast. He somehow entered our orbit through our website, and we realized that we had a common love for our fair city, Black Rock City. And with our Burning Man episode coming up, I thought it'd be fantastic to feature Nikki and have Nikki come on and talk about his journey as an artist, his work as an artist, but then also his vision for what he's gifting to Black Rock City this year and his installation there on Playa. And some of these words are probably strange to people who only live in the default world. (laughs) Yes, this is the default world. Our home, our true home is there on Playa in Black Rock City at Burning Man. And so Nikki Alice, who is a burner of many years, is on the show today to talk about his work and his art and our mutual love and passion for all things Black Rock City. But, you know, Nikki was born and is currently residing in Orange County here in Southern Cal. 
where he's always pursued art. But his background really is in music. He's a tour manager for bands like, oh, I don't know, System of the Down, System of a Down, people. Come on, you can't get much cooler than that. But he also sort of was a mechanic and worked in automotive. And so his talent for engineering and fabrication and welding and sort of feeds into not just his artwork that he does in the default world, but the artwork that he, of course, brings to Playa. But interestingly, uh, Nikki Alice started working with Mirror in 2007. You know, this unique medium, uh, Mirror, uh, has gotten a positive reaction from people who appreciate uh, outsider art, different kinds of art. And really, it's fascinating to hear about Nikki's process because he taps into his dream life for inspiration, for his art, and for storytelling. And in fact, he is a dream school scholar and had attended the School of Metaphysics for Dream Psychology, studying to become an interpreter of dreams. And so his dreams inform his life and his work and his artwork. And I know you're going to love hearing from Nikki Alice today and all the cool stuff that he has planned at Burning Man this year. It's going to be tricky. (laughs) It always is tricky at Burning Man. So we wish Nikki nothing but the best. Look out for those sandstorms. Look out for those heat waves. God forbid there's any rain. It's going to be epic as it always is there on Playa at Burning Man this year. And of course, Burning Man this year, Animalia is the theme. So go to burningman.org to read up about the Animalia theme, which is very exciting and cool. And it's going to be, as it always is, epic, epic, epic. So before we get into this interview with Nikki, I want to thank you for tuning in. We do this all for you. It's all about you. And we, of course, want you to go to the website, novelart.com, and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. We're always promoting amazing artists and their art, so you can learn about super talented artists. As well, if you are an artist, you can apply for our 2024 artist grant to win $2,000 and thousands more in PR marketing support. The submissions are open until January 1st, so please be sure and go submit for our 2024 grant. And of course, be sure to check out our online exhibitions. We're curating some really cool exhibitions on notrealart.com these days, as well as check out the new remote series from our colleague and friend, Badir McCleary, which explores the use of public art in this country and around the world. So a shout out to Badir for all the amazing work he's doing with the remote series. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. Let's get into our Burning Man episode. Let's start burning people and hear from the one and only Nikki Alice, fantastic human, great soul, incredible artist, and fellow burner who I love talking to. So welcome to the Burning Man episode, people. And without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Nikki Alice. Nikki Alice, welcome to Not Real Art. Thank you very much for having me. I tell you, I've been nervous because I was like, wait a minute, is it Nikki Alice? Is it Alice? What is it? And so I just went with the full name, Nikki Alice. So tell me, how do you like to be referred to? Yeah, it's actually a little bit of a story. So I go by Alice these days. Nikki Alice is my 
official name, although my birth name was Nicholas Bauman. But I was managing a rock band like from 2008 to 2015, and they said that I needed a nickname. And so they nicknamed me Nikki Alice because I had a love for Alice in Wonderland, and it just kind of stuck. And we started signing these record contracts, and the label would put Nikki Alice on them. And I was like, oh, that's just kind of more of a stage name. And they said, well, you might as well change it officially. It just kind of works. So I officially changed it like 10 years ago. And I went by Nikki Alice for a while. And then it just kind of turned into Alice. And it's just kind of one of those things that you don't have control over. And my Nikki Alice persona kind of died at Burning Man 2017 was the death of Nikki, and then Alice just officially kind of took over, and it just works better for me as an artist. And it's just kind of one of those things that just happens. Oh, man. Okay. So, well, thank you for that. And you've touched on so many things, and I can't wait to (laughs) get into all of it and unpack it as much as we can. But of course, you know, listen, for the record, we would have had you on the show anyway. In fact, we were going to feature you on the blog because our editor, Morgan Lawrence, shout out Morgan, you know, she does these amazing like exposés or little question of they called Q plus art. And I understand she was going to feature you. And I was talking to her the other day. I was like scrambling. I'm like, oh, the burn's coming up. I said, I want to, you know, drop a Burning Man episode. I need to find, you know, artists I want to talk to. She's like, you should call Alice. Like, you know, like he's getting ready. And the whole thing, I was like, oh, man, OK. So she linked us up. And, so, yeah. you know, so we scrambled to kind of get together today. Because I want this episode to drop before Burning Man because, you know, man, we're in it. I mean, I can feel the heat. <laughs> you know, I can feel the dust. <laughs> you know, it's like it's all happening, you know. So so I want to talk not just about, you know, Burning Man and our love and our passion and our vision for what's going to be like this year. And, of course, we never really know, right? <laughs> it's like that's the, that's, the yeah. whole, that's the whole point, right? But, you know, as an artist, I want to understand your journey, not just to Playa, but to being an artist, because it sounds like your roots are really in music. What came first, visual arts or the musical arts? Well, the art's always been there. I've always had a thumb for art. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be an artist growing up. And when life really hits you, I, I kind of realized, oh, maybe that's not the most lucrative or successful path for me. So I tried a lot of other things before I found art, but I kind of found, well, I guess I could back up a little bit. I was a mechanic for 11 years and I hurt my back as a mechanic, but I was doing art at the same time. And it was right when I started having art shows working with mirrors. And when I got let go from being a mechanic, I was pissed for like five seconds because, okay, there goes my paycheck, but okay, here's my opportunity to do what I love. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah. (laughs) So when I found the art, I was also kind of befriended these group of kids that had this really cool rock band, and I was good with working with people. I have a psychology background, and so they asked me to manage the band, and I couldn't say no. And so I managed this band for about seven years before they dispersed, but I learned a lot with music and management. I mean, it was a lot of fun. But I, you know, I never really became that successful with the art until I put the art 100%. And so when the band dispersed, it gave me an opportunity to just give my art 100%. 
And I did work with a few other bands. I was a tour manager for a heavy metal band, uh, Spades and Blades, and we've been all over the country, which was fun. But I kind of have that on the side, and my art is always full-time. And so when I started giving the art 100%, that's when I started getting success with it. Isn't that so true, right? That focus is so key. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you're talking about art, because art isn't really something that you could teach. It's something that you could, you know, create the conditions for success, but it's not really something you could, somebody could teach you how to be a successful artist. It's almost something that you got to just go out and do, especially with my art, working with mirrors. There's not a lot of mirror artists out there. And so I just kind of had to figure it out. And it took a lot of trial and error and it took all of my attention, whether I'm, you know, all of the challenges were more of learning experiences. Although I still love music and I still get offers to do some tours here and there. And I'm sure that's not over with, but my number one will be my art, especially these days when you know, I'm doing so well at it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, you know, the universe, you know, what's he'll say? One door closes, you know, a window opens or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, but I mean, you know, kudos to you, brother, and much respect because you were paying attention, right? Like you were aware and mindful. I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, us mere mortals out there might've been really depressed or sad and thought that, you know, it was kind of, the end of a road or more of a problem than an opportunity. And, you know, you just, you know, you saw it for what it was, which was truly the opportunity to maybe pivot into something that was, you know, more true to who you really are as a human. And, you know, so I don't know, just, you know, much respect because I think a lot of, you know, unfortunately a lot of people are out there are lost because they, they don't, they, you know, they miss their opportunity. Well, yeah, I, I, I definitely hear you with, you know, people being lost, but I also feel that maybe being lost could be part of their path. Yes, right. You know, because there, there's been a lot of days, even years where I felt lost. And, you know, I've gone a year or two without a sale and I've had good years and bad years. But, you know, those times make you into who you are now. And I love what you said about paying attention to the signs the universe gives you because you really need to be in touch with listening rather than talking. You know, a lot of people, they talk too much. <laughs> I My wife told me I talk too much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this podcast aside, yeah, you know, right. I've never learned anything by talking, you know, so I like to do a lot of listening and especially when it comes time to learn uh, about the way the universe works, you know, listening is is the best way to go about that. So, yeah, the the whole trial and error thing is. I mean, I've had some rough years, and I've definitely been more than depressed on a number of occasions. But you know, you got to hit bottom and bounce up, and life isn't linear. It's not very often somebody just gets random success and goes with it, especially when you're hitting the pavement hitting the galleries, you know, social media and all that stuff. It's a lot of ups and downs. For sure. I re I'm reminded of somebody once reminded me years ago, said, just remember, you've got two ears and one mouth. So let that, let that be an indication <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. we listen more than we talk. But yeah, man, no, it is a journey. It's up and down. I mean, it, it and being lost sometimes is absolutely part of the process, right? And 
how how humans are made, how character is built, how artistry is inspired. I mean, you know, it's a, a personal thing, right? Like there's not one path for everybody. Everybody's on their own path, right? And uh, so, yeah, you know, having just trusting the universe, right, to, you know, and just believing that the universe is sort of unfolding as it must and as it should for you, you know, and for all of us, you know, and, and you know, and I understand that might sound a bit privileged or woo-woo for a lot of people listening out there who are really struggling, but, you know, you got to have faith. I mean, you know, on some level, believe in yourself, if nothing else, you know? Yeah, I think it's really important to believe that the universe unfolds in the way it does, not for maybe a specific reason, but it is important to understand that the universe works in ways that are bigger than you, and you have to kind of respect that. And yeah, part of my journey of not just being an artist, but being a human is knowing that even if you don't understand the way that things are going or why something happened, if the universe didn't want that to happen in that specific way, it wouldn't have happened. And one of my favorite quotes that keeps me going is, whatever happens to you is the best possible thing. And so, you know, you could always learn from every situation. One of my favorite books is The Alchemist. Have you ever read The Alchemist? Years ago in high school. (laughs) Yeah. My boy, uh, Brian LaFrance who also had the satanic Bible, (laughs) We, 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 we we were all about it, but it's been a minute. Yeah, I love that book because it's in tune with paying attention to the omens that the universe shows you. I have a quick funny story about that book. My dad gave me that book long time ago, and my dad left our family and started a new family. And so there's a couple of years where I didn't really talk to him. And he gave me that book right before I left for my birthday. And I you know, wasn't in good terms at the moment, so I put the book down. And maybe two or three years later, this tour of Egypt came around and they had uh, to the California Science Center and they had like all the things that were found in, in King Tut's tomb. And the day before I went to the tour, I had this dream that I went to Egypt to dig up some treasure. And I went to the showing and it really just kind of like illuminated this part in my brain of finding something valuable, whether, you know, not quite gold or monetary value, but something valuable because the stuff in his tomb was just priceless. And so I had that dream and I write all my dreams down and that's been a big part of my process for art also. And later that day, I picked up The Alchemist and a few years goes by, my dad and I are on great terms and, you know, that's all behind us. And I start reading the book And the book is basically about this boy who has a dream that goes to Egypt to find treasure. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of weird. I picked it up the day after I have this dream of going to Egypt to, you know, dig up treasure, right? And so the book just like really rang true. And it's about following the omens that the universe gives you. And so I started paying more attention to subtleties. And it's led me to meeting more people at Burning Man that really opened some doors. I met this really cool guy, Johnny Crash, who is the head of our Burning Man camp. And he's got some really cool big art. And uh, he uses a lot of geometry and mirrors in his, his art. And we have the same birthday. It was kind of, you know, 
super synchronistic. And it made me think of the book. But we became friends. And, you know, going to Burning Man, when you look at all the cool art out there, I always thought to myself, man, if I could do any project, you know, this this is what it would be. And this is, you know. And when I met Johnny Crash, we decided to do a project together. And that's when we came up with the portal. And I'm not sure if you saw the portal. I, well, on, not, on only did I, not only did I see it on your website, I was there in 2019 and I saw it for myself yeah. uh, live, awesome. live on Playa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was the first really big project that I've done. And I mean, it was a ton of work, but it was such a great learning experience. And so we brought the portal in 2019. And then in 2020, we brought it to the Love Burn in Miami. And for those of you who don't know, the portal is like a 25 foot tall kaleidoscope that you could climb up inside and be a part of the, the fractal pattern and just kind of immerse yourself within a kaleidoscope and so it's really cool to to be able to do that and i kind of owe the signs of the universe you know me paying attention to you know leading up to meeting crash and you know the shape of the portal is a dodecahedron and we kind of chatted that i think it was 2018 when we decided to uh, maybe let's do a project and the day after Burning Man 2018, I came home and I had a dream where I turned around in the dream. It was a lucid dream. And I was kind of before on the way back, I was thinking of, OK, what shape if we were going to do this kaleidoscope, what shape would it be? And I had a dream where this dodecahedron kind of just appeared in the dream and was just like, hey. So I woke up and sketched it out and I called Johnny Crash and I was like, I think I have a shape you know, what do you think of dodecahedron? And he's like, dude, I can't believe that you just said that because right now I'm kind of making this wooden dodecahedron. I'm not sure what to do with it. And I was like, all right, that's our shape, you know? But the whole, all of the details of the portal kind of unfolded in that way, you know? And yeah, just listening to the the signs, listening more than talking has probably been the biggest benefit of of being an artist, I think. Listen, people, listen. Are you hearing this? <laughs> Are you hearing this? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and listen, people. Well, brother, I, you know, again, you're hitting on so many things I want to talk about, you know, and we're going to get to Burning Man because I want when I dig down on on that. I want to hear what's coming up because, you know, shit, we're going to be on Playa. I can't say we're you and I are going to meet on Playa. Yeah. I mean, we're meeting here, but like, you know, this is virtual for people who don't know, like we're doing this online, but then we get to actually follow up with a physical hug on playa like that's amazing that is just like yeah it's gonna be great so, so it's sneaking up it's sneaking up i can't believe how close it is oh my god i know i'm a little i mean i'm just like holy shit man i gotta i gotta wash off my bike from last year or whatever <laughs> before we get into that you know i one of the things that you know really jumped out at me you know when i was reading your website and stuff you know, it was the fact that, you know, you are studying, well, you said you have a psychology background, but I mean, you're studying dreams and you're dreams, a school scholar with the school of metaphysics. And so, you know, I'm just a mere mortal. I don't, you know, I'm not even sure what all that means. Wink, nudge, you know, help, you know, help me you know, unpack that for us. Like take me through that. And how did you in there or end up there? What is that experience like? And what does that mean for you today? Well, so my mom 
was a psychologist. And so I grew up, you know, I'm a mama's boy, 100%. And so when I read a lot of her psychology books, and I've always been interested in dreams. I had my first lucid dream when I was five. And I remember I had a few scary dreams when I was a child and my mom said you could control your dreams. And I didn't quite know what that meant. And when I had my first lucid dream when I was five, it just kind of clicked that it's this whole other world. And there's not a lot of literature on it. I mean, other than Freud and Jung, there's not a lot of like even people that you could talk to about it. I mean, people know about dreams, but nobody has any answers. And I had nothing but questions. So I paid a lot of attention to my dreams growing up. And I read a lot of my mom's psychology books. Uh, I'm a big Jungian dream theorist. And I've been writing my dreams down since I was 19, I think. So I'm going on 24 years and I have just a stack of journals and I realized that the dreams that I would write down, a lot of things throughout the day would coincide with the things that I wrote down. For instance, when I first started doing this, I had a dream that I saw my friend from second grade, Johnny uh, Kanahulani. Haven't even thought about him in like 20 years and had a dream that I saw him at a gas station. Uh, no big deal. Wrote it down. Didn't think anything of it. Later that day, I see Jerry Conaholani at a gas station. And I was like, what? Like, what is this? You know, and it's another one of those listening things. You know, if I wasn't listening to my dreams and paying attention, I wouldn't have caught that. But a lot of things like that would happen. So it just really rolled my interest, you know, bigger and bigger. And when I learned how to lucid dream, which is this whole nother language, you know, if you're not familiar with lucid dreaming, it's when you become aware that you're dreaming within the dream. And then you could control the environment. You could talk to other entities, other forms of consciousness. Uh, you could go to different astral planes and there's no rules. And I also read a book called Journeys Out of the Body, where he teaches you a technique to astral travel. And I didn't quite have the confidence to do it until I did. And when I did it, and I had my first astral travel experience, man, it just blew my mind. And so my interest in dream travel and dream studies were just very apparent in my 20s and 30s. And I started attending the School of Metaphysics, uh, I think my early 30s, for a few years. And I did the scholar program. And part of the program was to start a dream circle, like a meetup group within your town. And so I had a dream circle for five years. And I people gathered and we shared our dreams. And we had different studies, different just like a lot of different projects within that. And it was one of the most outstanding things that I've ever participated in is this dream circle. And the people that I've met are just friends for life. You know, uh, dreamers stick together. I mean, they're, we're kind of a rare breed and everybody's an artist or interesting. And the dreams that other people have were just so amazing. And so I've been working with my own dreams for so long. And it's just a whole nother ball game to work with other people's dreams. And so at the time I wanted to be a dream coach and 
So I kind of worked myself into the study group and we came up with different projects and it was just really interesting. You know, I find a lot of inspiration from my own art in the dreams. There's, I mean, there's numerous artists that get all of their inspiration from their dreams. I forgot what artist it was, but there's a famous artist from history that goes into a lucid dream and he walks into an art gallery and he looks at a piece on the wall and then he wakes up and he paints what he sees. And, you know, and it's his art, you know, his subconscious creation. Was that, that Salvador Dali or was that, do we know? I, don't know. <sighs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't Salvador, although he's a whole nother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds like him. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I figured out my best design so far right now is my Tesseract art piece. And I figured out how to do that from a dream. I knew I wanted to create this, what I call fourth dimensional art. You know, we live in a three-dimensional universe with three-dimensional brains and three-dimensional eyes. So it's really hard to envision what a fourth-dimensional object would look like. And that's what was the inspiration behind my Tesseract design. And for those who don't know, a Tesseract is to the cube what the cube is to the square. So it's a mathematical term to describe a fourth-dimensional cube. And I didn't quite know how to go about it. And without revealing how I did it because I like to keep that to myself because it kind of, yeah, that's kind of, you know, everybody uh, likes uh, recipe of the ingredients, uh, you know, secret ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the best art leaves the question of how did he do that? And so I like to have that question, but in order for an artist to create art that asks how he did that, the artist usually doesn't know how he's going to do it until he figures it out. And so when I started doing my Tesseract, I didn't quite know where I was going to put the light source. Working with infinity mirrors, working with two-way mirrors, you have to have a light source on the inner on the inner mirror in order for the light to reflect. And I didn't quite know where to put it. And I had a dream that showed it as bright as day. And so I woke up and created the Tesseract. And yeah, people still don't know how I did it. Now, yeah, speaking of Burning Man, so I'm making a giant Tesseract for Burning Man this year. I'm about 75% of the way done with it. I originally wanted to do a 7 by 7 by 7 foot Tesseract, and it's all glass. But I didn't get the grant from Burning Man this year. We'll get one next year. But so I scaled it down. So the one I'm bringing this year is going to be 5 by 5 by 5 foot. So I scaled it down just so I can handle it. It's been quite the challenge, but I'm really excited to bring it this year. So that's right, because you don't know how people are going to react, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it. You get to see firsthand, like, your gift, right, and how people are receiving it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I was a little reluctant to bring real glass to the playa. <laughs> sure. But, you know, I got it tempered, so it's safety glass. Yeah, I'm still a little nervous, but you never know how those burners are going to react, you know, hopefully nobody wants to jump into it. <laughs> but I got some movie theater ropes around it and with some don't touch me signs, but who knows? It's, it'll be an experiment. You know, everything's an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. So I have a question though, cause I want to drill down more in terms of, you know, so many things, especially the burn, but, but, you know, I want to go back because you were talking about how your dream 
helped you solve that very real problem in terms of where to put the light, right, in the structure. Yes. And, you know, I'm just curious, like, how much time passed between realizing you had a problem, like, I don't know where to put the light, and having the dream that solved the problem for you? Was that a matter of days, weeks? Like, how long between, do you remember, roughly? Yeah. Well, first off, I don't like to use the word problem. It's more okay. of a challenge. Sure, sure. I think the word problem is overused in the world. But yeah, probably days or weeks. Usually if I have an issue that requires some extra assistance, I like to try and manifest that answer in my dreams. There's a technique called dream incubation. Oh, okay. That's really cool to use. And you basically take your dream journal and you write the question down. You basically, the thing about dreams is the more aware of dreaming in your waking life you are, the more aware of dreaming you will be in your dream life. And so manifesting an answer requires a certain amount of meditation before the dream. So setting that intent is really important. You know, intent is important in everything that you do. So I had this issue of, okay, how am I going to do this? And I thought about it so many times and I wrote it down in my dream journal. And when you're patient and quiet and attentive, then the dream will show you what you need to know. And so it probably happened over the course of a few days. Because I was already building this. I knew I was going to figure it out eventually. And that's how I go into a lot of my projects. I'm not sure how I'm going to finish it. But once you start, you have no choice but to finish it. So you will figure it out eventually. And that's what creates that. How did he do that? Because going into a project not knowing how you're going to finish, that creates that. How did he do that? Right. Right. I'm a simpleton. I don't know much. I don't have, unfortunately, I, I can't claim to have a, a dream journal. Although I love the idea of having, hell, I'd barely keep it, I barely keep it dry. I have a notebook, but, <laughs> but the idea of a, keeping a dream journal is fascinating to me. And I'm going to ask a question. Maybe I'm not going to ask it exactly right, but I think you'll understand what I'm trying to ask. So out of every 10 entries, so to speak, in your dream journal, how many of those entries contain some kind of illustration or drawing, right? So I'm guessing some of it's written word, but then I'm wondering to what extent some of it is like, you know, drawings or illustrations. It all depends on what I'm trying to take from the dream. If I'm not asking a specific question or expecting something specific, it could be anything. Even if it's not, if I don't think it's going to be important, it is important to write down something, whether it's a feeling, a shape, a color, a theme. You know, a lot of people have recurring dream themes. So the theme is very important. But yeah, my journal is just filled with drawings and sketches and all sorts of things. And even if I don't think it's important at the time, it is important to put it in the journal because you never know if it's going to come to fruition or if you need to refer back to it. It's one thing to write down your dreams, but it's another thing to go back and reread those dreams and see the correlation of how life is played out. And it's just so interesting to go back and see the reoccurring themes. And that's kind of where the messages come through. I've had a lot of reoccurring themes. 
And yeah, they've been really interesting. Lately, I've been having visitations by these really intimidating cats, like lions and tigers. And to be honest with you, it kind of scared the shit out of me. And I didn't quite know what to do with these. And I, I still don't know. I'm still waiting. And a lot of times in the dream, I'll be approached by these animals. And I'm very intimidated, although I feel that they're not trying to attack me or else they would have. I think they're more messengers, but I usually wake up before I get the message. And sometimes they'll be really close to my home in the dream world. The dreamer's home represents the dreamer in the most intimate way. And lately, the big cats have kind of been around the house I grew up in as a child. And I'm not quite sure what that means. And I'm not sure if I'm ready for that message. But I know that there is a message to be gotten. Whether or not I'm ready for it or not, I'm listening. And so sometimes in my journal, I'll write down if there's a message, you know, just give it to me, clean and simple. So I'm waiting for that. Funny story, when I was at Burning Man, I think it was probably 26. 17 or 18, I had a dream where there was a big cat and it was playing dead in the street and there was a group of people around it. And I knew it wasn't dead, but it got up, it started following me and it followed me to a store and I was really intimidated. I'm trying to grab weapons to protect myself and it jumps up on this counter where I was at and it opened its mouth like it was going to say something. And then I woke up and I was really intimidated. I woke up, I wrote it down. Here I am at Burning Man, and okay, now I'm going to, I got to keep an eye out for a lion, like this lion messenger is somewhere, and it's going to give me a message. And we like to play this game at Burning Man where you ride our bikes, you go across Playa to another camp, and then you go through all the camps and, you know, find all the stuff you could do, right? And I told everybody about the dream. I was like, if anybody sees a lion, anybody dressed up as a lion or something, I got to talk to him, let me know. And we ride all the way across 15 minutes to the three o'clock because we're staying at nine. And the first camp we get to is a circus themed camp and they have this big tent and there's a lion right on the front of the tent. And I was like, guys, I got to go in here. Just trust me. So they stay outside and I go in there and I shit you not. As soon as I walk in the tent, there's two people sitting there and they're like, we've been expecting you. And I was like, holy moly, like this is crazy. They're literally sitting at a desk and they say, we've been expecting you. <laughs> you should know that there's a big storm coming with 70 mile an hour winds and you need to go all the way back to your camp and hold your fort down, basically. And I look outside and it's clear as day. But I remember the dream. So the dream saying I should pay attention to these guys. So I took a little convincing to get my group and say... This is what's going on. We should go back. There's a storm coming. I know it sounds weird. They follow me. We go all the way back. Took us 15 minutes. And as soon as we get back, we see this wall of wind coming. This storm, this biggest sandstorm I've ever seen. We have just enough time to drop our bikes and get our tent stakes and stake down our easy ups and our tents. Just enough time for that storm to hit. And every camp around us, their tents went flying. There's easy ups, umbrellas. Everything is 
flying up in the air and the storm was so dark that our solar lights came on and it's like noon, right? Like I've never seen a storm like this during the day. But that dream, if I didn't pay attention to that dream, our whole camp would have been upside down. It was crazy. Wow. 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 I mean, the synchronicity, the serendipity, the, the, all the, the magic that's representative in the story you just told, it's just so profound. It's, it's just even hard to kind of comprehend. You know, you said that year was 2017. Was that your first burn? How many burns for you? My first burn was 2016, and I've been every year since, um, other than the years that were taken off. So this year, I think, will be my sixth. Yeah, my sixth big burn. I, you know, I've been to regional stuff, but yeah, this will be year six. And I can imagine going every year. You know, some of my friends have been 10 years, and they'll take a year off. I understand that, but... Man, there's just something about Burning Man that is just so inspiring to see how amazing people could be. That's one of my favorite things about Burning Man is just everybody's so selfless and self-expressive and self-reliant. And it's just so cool to see how amazing people can be. And it's kind of almost like a checkpoint in the year where it's like, okay, where was I last year? And where do I want to be next year? And so it's a really cool opportunity to be an artist. What does Burning Man mean to you? I mean, in one word, just inspiration. My first burn, it blew my mind. I couldn't fathom how people could create such big, amazing art and how cool people could be. It's awesome that the stupider you're dressed or like the stupidest possible thing that you could be or do is celebrated in the best way. You know, you see straight guys wear dresses and it's awesome. You know, everything possible happens there. Anything that's possible can happen there, has happened there. It's like every holiday wrapped into one for adults for a week long. Yeah, man. I know. It's uh, everything all at once <laughs> happening all the time. I used to say, I used to have this thing. I don't know if I can repeat it, but it's like this idea. It's like for me, <laughs> Burning Man was almost like if like Barnum and Bailey, Salvador Dali, and I don't know, Pink Floyd or what had a love child, you know, like, like that. It might, <laughs> it might be Burning Man, you know, it might be, it might be. Yeah. And I've only been, this will be my uh, fourth burn. I got my first invitation like back in the day. I used to know this guy who was who used to go the some of the first ones. I guess I got my invitation like back in the 90s, like the mid 90s. But I was living in Chicago. I'm a Midwest guy and uh it just seemed so far. It just was not, you know, practical. And then I moved out to LA and ended up actually doing a lot of business in Portland, Oregon and made some friends up there and established a camp and then, you know, my one buddy just, dude, you got to come. You got to come. What the fuck, man? You know, you got to come. You got to, you know, and I finally did. And of course it was, you know, everything I had heard in 10X, you know, and it is such a personal journey and it, it really is a personal thing. And, you know, to try to sum it up, it's, I'm only summing it up for me because it is so personal for so many things and for, for so many reasons. And, you know, but the one thing I will tell people, it's like, you know what? 
if you enjoy camping, you probably will, you know, enjoy Burning Man. But if you don't like camping, you know, you may not enjoy Burning Man because at its core, it's a camping trip in a very extreme environment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not for the bougie no, person. No. If you like to be comfortable, don't definitely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, Burning Man, again, you know, it's so inspiring. And my best friends and I were so inspired right after our first burn that we created an event out here in Apple Valley called Moonrise. Okay. And this year is actually our eighth year, but we put on a one to two day music and art festival out in Apple Valley that we call Moonrise Campout. So you should definitely come. I would love that. Yeah. It would be wonderful. Yeah, we'll it? set you up. It's September 29th and 30th this year out in Apple Valley. Nice. And it's cool. We got a big art car coming out. <laughs> it's at a place called Sirius Ranch. Okay. Uh, big 30-foot stage. So we're not trying to copy Burning Man at all, but it's so inspiring that we had to do something ourselves. And my best friend, Matt and Eric, and I have been putting it on for, this will be our, our eighth year, but we get live bands to play, which kind of sets us apart because a lot of those festivals just do DJs, electronic music. But we get some cool indie and rock live bands out there, and then we have DJs also. But Moonrise Camp Out, it's definitely been our baby, and it's definitely inspired by Burning Man, but this is more accessible for people that don't want to take off 10 days or, you know, buy really expensive tickets. We make it easy to get out there and we'll have to get you out to Moonrise this I'd year. I love that. I'd love that. So tell me about your Burning Man camp. So I'm a part of Chop Shop. Chop Shop is a bicycle repair camp. And my bestie, Matt, introduced me. He went one year before I did in 2015. And I'm not sure how he met these guys, but he took me to my first burn in 2016. And I met everybody in Chop Shop. But they're really cool. Everybody is uh, an artist or a musician or a mechanic. And we provide bicycle repair as a service to the burners. And, you know, if if you've been to Burning Man, you know you got to bring a bike and your bike will break down. And, <laughs> down. So, <laughs> and so, yeah, if your bike breaks down and you're in our area, we're at 830 in Frogbat this year, bring your bike and we'll fix it up for you for free. I love it. I love it. Well, so speaking of bikes, I mean, you know, one of the things, because Burning Man is, you know, an evolution, right? I mean, it's been going on a long time. It's evolved and you, you hear, you know, people talk about how it's evolved over the years because, you know, it's changed a lot, right? So one of the things, right? So you hear people talk about how smartphones change the culture because there used to be so much more nudity than there is now because, you know, smartphones or cameras, the pro proliferation of cameras uh, sort of mitigated or changed, you know, people's, you know, maybe sense of expression around nudity, that may or may not be true. I don't know, but that's something I've heard. And then, you know, and then you talk about how people talk about how LED technology has changed, you know, Burning Man, because of course now it's lit up, right? I mean, it's lit up in a way that it wasn't lit up, you know, 15 years ago, right? You know, and then last year, the last couple of years, you know, e-bikes, right? So e-bikes are like, I mean, they were all over the playa last year. I was there first year, 2018, 2019. You know, there was a few, a couple of e-bikes. They were very much the exception. Uh, now, last year, man, like they were like everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's, you know, you got 
progress in, in different ways. And I know I don't like to have my phone on me while I'm out there. I mean, not only am I probably going to lose it, but I don't like to take too many pictures or videos while I'm out there because it just doesn't represent what's really going on out there much. And also, I feel that the people at home that don't make the journey to go to Burning Man, I feel in a way don't deserve to know what's going on out there. So I don't like, maybe I'll post one picture, but I'm not revealing my experience out there. A lot of people frown on having your phone out there also. I've been been at art projects and I see people taking pictures and videos and then other people kind of getting upset. And yeah, whatever you do, if you do find a signal out there, don't text anybody don't make any calls because that's just kind of you know you're out there you should be immersed in the experience and yeah the e-bikes i had an e-bike for one year and it was pretty cool it was definitely convenient going back and forth to the art project when we brought the portal out so it was nice to go back and forth but i like to have my i just got a beach cruiser this year I, f- I mean, I like to kind of work a little bit. If you're going to go check out something, totally. you kind of should be working. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it is. Yeah, it's absolutely. I love my bike. I got a beach cruiser too. And again, I'm not judging. I mean, to each their own. And, you know, every, you know, change is, is, is constant and change, you know, is often generally a very healthy thing if you choose to see it that way. But it's an interesting, you know, kind of dynamic because, you know, there's a lot more. I'm on my little bike, you know, they're zipping by, you know, the dust, you know, kicking up dust, you know, more than your average, you know. And yet, you know, but it is what it is, right? And so, but then one of the cool changes that's happened over the years, thanks to technology, are the drones. Yeah. And man, fucking A, dude. Like, I'm just like all about the drones. And I was saying last year, I just predict like five years from now, like there just will be this constant canopy of drones overhead, you know, because they're just they're growing too. the drones are more now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. The drone show last year blew my mind. That was the best, I feel, art that was out there last year is was the drone show. It was just like... My first year in 2016, they didn't have drones yet, you know, and it was just all land projects, which was fantastic, you know, but man, when I saw those drones the first time, I didn't know if it was the drugs or what, but I was like, (laughs) how did they do that? And last year they had the Space Invaders. Did you see the drone show when they did the whole Space Invaders Atari screen? Like, whoa. Nuts. I knew it was done with drones, but I didn't, I still couldn't fathom how it was happening. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. So I love how technology is finding its way into Burning Man in, in the artsy ways. Yeah, brother. I mean, it's just, you know, the playa magic. I mean, there's just something out there for everybody. You know, the, the art is just unbelievable what people do like the ephemeral nature you know we were talking about the drones but you know it's like it was one like when i first saw the drones and i guess it was 20 for me it was 2018 i think but anyway we were on our bikes it was whatever time it was you know fucking whatever midnight whatever and i don't god knows what we were on (laughs) and we were riding through and we all of a sudden just look you know i'm like what the hell is that because there was this like amorphous kind of lit up structure, you know, in the sky and it just looked like a ghost or something, you know, and we stopped. And of course we would 
come to realize it was a drone show and these drones were, and it was the year when the guy was adding, you know, like 200 drones every night. And then, you know, it's, he started with 200, we ended with like 1400 drones, like seven nights later or whatever. And so this was like night two or three. So there was only maybe 600 drones up there, you know, and it was just, and it was over. Like, I mean, you know, we saw it, we watched it for a few minutes and then the drones came in landed and we only got to see it because we were there we were there and paying attention but we were there you know and that ephemeral nature of the experience of burning man on playa with this art is core to the magic and that gets back to you know why you and other people myself included don't always feel comfortable taking photos and sharing those photos because you know what it's like man it's a rite of passage you'll make the effort be there because you will be changed Yeah, it's hard to describe. I mean, you can't describe what goes on there. You just have to be there. And if you're not making the journey, because it is a journey, then (laughs) you almost don't deserve to be, you know, to know what goes on there. Oh, my God. Is it a journey? Well, I'll tell you what, Brother Alice, I can't wait to make the journey with you this year. I can't wait to have you on Playa. This is going to be fucking great. You know, and I want you to come back. I mean, maybe we do a debrief, like, you know, uh, detox, (laughs) whatever, after the burn. But okay, but, you know, we barely touched on your art and you're doing so many things. You know, I'm just so grateful you came on. Tell our listeners, please, where they can find you online and how can they support you in your artistic pursuits? Yeah, well, you could check out my art on Instagram. My handle's at Nikki Alice. It's N-I-C-K-Y Alice could check out Moonrise Campout also. And then I have links on my website, which is NikkiAlice.com, to all my endeavors, including my Tesseract art installation, which is going to be at the burn this year, somewhere in Interplaya. So that's where we got to meet. Yes. And yeah, I mean, everything's kind of updated on the Instagram and I'm on all the social media, just throw in my name. Nice, nice. Have they placed you yet? Do you know where you're going to be or are you still waiting to find out? Um, I asked for somewhere between my camp and the temple. So I'm camped at 830 and F. So somewhere in inner playa that way I could kind of keep an eye on it. And Yeah, that's key. <laughs> oh, especially. Yeah. Bring in, yeah. <laughs> bring in glass. You want to keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah. Should be interesting to say the least. To say the least. Well, Brother Alice, man, uh, much love, much gratitude. Thank you for coming through. And, you know, more to come. You have a beautiful weekend. Good luck getting ready for Playa. It's real. It's coming fast. We're going to be there in no time. And uh, yeah, right around the corner. uh, Right around the corner. All right, brother, you be well. And thanks for coming on. And please come back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the future. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.